You are listening to Fellowship Around the Table. Welcome to Fellowship Around the Table. Another exciting week here with Rick Griffith, working through Paul's missionary journeys and acts, and kind of giving his letters time and space and context for when these letters that he wrote to the churches happen. We just last week talked through most of the second missionary journey. We had Paul in Corinth. And to pick up from there, Rick, what what do they do next? Well, if you remember, Priscilla and Aquila are the two people that were from Rome that were in Corinth that helped Paul establish that church. He expressed real fear when he was in Corinth. He was afraid for his life. It was a – to play the Corinthian – was a phrase at the time that basically meant that you were abased. Mm. For a woman to play the Corinthian meant that she was loose and that basically a hustler. Mm. And Corinth was known as the tar pit of the Mediterranean. Okay. But a church got established there. Yep. <laughs> they're going to be used as an example again. Yeah, they're going to be used as an example later. But Paul wants to get back to Jerusalem to report on the second missionary journey. He wants to stop in Ephesus. It is the center of everything that happens in what's called Asia. Some call it Asia Minor. It's the western third of Turkey. Asia Minor was a province that Rome had given that area. Okay. And very rich, very big. So he left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, and then he took Timothy and Luke with him mm-hmm. to Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah. to report back to the apostles there what had happened on the missionary journey. Okay. And we believe this is the first time that Luke had real access to Jerusalem and its phenomenal records that went all the way back to Adam. Yeah. The Jewish people were very specific as to keep their genealogies yep, all the way back to Adam. And we lose it after 70 AD. He had access to all the more than likely virtually all of those first century people who witnessed Jesus's ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That's where he filled us in all the blanks. The first 15 chapters yeah. is he gets eyewitness testimony of what happened in Luke mm-hmm. and then what happened in those first 12 chapters of Acts. Yeah. And that's what's so unique about Luke's gospel is that's where we get the real big layout of the birth story and what they called Luke's two, the Christmas story. Mm-hmm. You get intimate details about Jesus. Things that Mary, Mary. said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's and only in Luke. It's yes. not in the other gospels. No. And they, they, they were there. Yeah. But – well, they weren't there in the in the foundation. They were there in the in the life of Christ, Jesus as his ministry. Yeah, but it, yeah, he gets access. A biographer, a historian's dream. <laughs> right. I've heard about all this stuff for uh-huh. years. Yeah, now, and I get to record what all these people saw and what they did. 
and all the miracles that happen. And the unique things that he pulls out that the other gospel writers don't have. Even like at the end with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Mm -hmm. it's only Luke that tells us about that. Well, because he's writing this historical narrative to a guy named Theophilus. Now, we don't know if that was an individual or a title of somebody, but a lover of God. But he's writing an orderly account Mm -hmm. to this by his own admission. By his own admission to this Theophilus, who was more than likely his sponsor to become a doctor. Hmm. So he's writing back to this guy. So he's doing meticulous work on establishing the credibility of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the fulfillment of Jesus from the Old Testament. Hmm. And it's it's just great. Paul gives his report to the apostles, and then he goes back with Silas and Timothy and Luke to Antioch in Syria. Okay. So the second missionary journey goes full circle. Full circle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where do we pick up from there? The third missionary journey. Yeah. So they Mm -hmm. are back at Antioch. What happens next? Paul gets the idea that it's been a while since we've been to Galatia. He wants to go back and encourage those people there. Again, he goes by land. Well, from some context, how many years would it have been since he first visited those church to that point? Putting you on the spot. His first missionary journey started in 49. Okay. The third missionary journey kind of goes off in 57. Okay. So it's been eight years. Yeah. So wow. he's okay. he spent some time. He's He's been 18 months in Corinth. just in Corinth. Yeah. And then he spent time in all these other places. And then he spends time back in his home church, if you will, Antioch in Syria. So he gets the idea, I'm sure from the Holy Spirit, that I need to go back to Galatia. That is the original church that he helped establish that was descended upon by these Jews that threw their doctrine up. And he wants to go back and visit and encourage them and and Galatia. So he goes from there, again, via the land. You have to go over the mountains to go to Ephesus. And he's going to spend three years in the city of Ephesus. And this is his first time to go to that city. No, he actually dropped Priscilla and Quilla off there. Yeah, he didn't spend any time doing ministry there. No, that's the first time to do ministry there. Priscilla and Aquila, in his absence, that's when they meet Apollos outside of Ephesus and more rightly give him that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Well, he's actually come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Apollos had it nailed down. Right. He he knew because of his time in Alexandria that it's time for the Messiah. And he's going out there telling people it's time for the Messiah. And Priscilla and Aquila said, he's here. Yeah, it's happened. He's been, yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, so Paul meets up. He meets up back up with Priscilla and Aquila, and they establish a church there. They expand the church, young church there in Ephesus. So it's going to be a significant church in that first couple generations of, of Christianity. Probably much longer, but this is a significant church. It is so significant that... It makes a remarkable statement in, I think it's Acts 19, that says, everyone in the province of Asia heard the gospel. Okay, when God uses (laughs) words like everyone and all, he means it. He doesn't use hyperbole. Right. 
So if you think about that. Before newspapers, but, before radio, before social media, before the internet. Before a Xerox machine. <laughs> I mean, how do you find people? Well, what's happened, and Philemon is, and the, the church there is going to be established from one of these people. People would leave Ephesus and go start churches all over the province of Asia. Mm. That's how Paul's message got out over the three years he was there to the whole province of Asia <laughs> is because people would come to the Lord, be discipled by Paul, and then go back to where they were from originally and start a church there. Yeah. And everybody in the province, it says everybody. And you're talking about the western third of Turkey. Wow. That is not a, a small, especially in those days, a small bit. In fact, it was so successful that two incidents happened that turned everything on their head. The first is that people were bringing their books about other gods and having a bonfire. Oh, really? Okay. And the second thing is there is a temple to Diana there. Mm. And the silversmiths make trinkets to, for all of the people to come worship at the temple in Diana. Well, the silversmiths were going out of work because nobody was buying their trinkets anymore. <laughs> and the silversmiths go to the same thing happened in Philippi, goes to the magistrate and turns them against Paul. Mm. And Paul makes a deal, essentially, says, I'll leave if you leave the church alone. Mm. And the church flourishes there. Okay. And Paul says, you know, I've been meaning to, me to go back to those places on the second missionary journey, and this is probably a good time to go do that. <laughs> now, while he's in Ephesus during those three years, he's getting letters from Corinth. Okay. He gets his first letter from Corinth. It's one of the ladies there. He mentions it in in 1 Corinthians 16 that a lady has written him a letter and says, since you've left, this is going on and this is going on and this is going on. Gosh, it was so bad that the elders were going to these temples of Diana in Corinth and teaching on Sunday and going and worshiping there on Saturday. So the next Saturday. So it was Paul writes a letter from Ephesus back to Corinth saying, I've heard these things about you. The first thing he mentions in Act in First Corinthians three is you guys are all lining up against each other. I'm of a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, and some of you are so <laughs> full of of self-aggrandizement that you said, but I'm of Jesus. <laughs> so you're lining up against all of these preachers and Christ himself against one another. You guys are babies in Christ. <laughs> and he calls them that. He calls them babies. I'm so glad we don't do that today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And then he says, I'm ashamed of you guys. There's a guy who is sleeping with his father's wife and you're allowing to stay in the church and openly sinning like this. Yeah. And he says, put him out, put him out so that you shame him to welcome him back. You're not putting him out to say, aha, I gotcha. You're putting him out to For let discipline. him know yeah. 
that this isn't acceptable yeah. inside the church. Of and he, I think he's fallen back there on some Old Testament principles. Yes. There were certain sins where you set him outside a camp for discipline, but you welcomed him back in. Yes, it wasn't it was, to. It was purpose. It was built for restoration. Right. Yeah. It wasn't to get them. Right. It was to set them up for repentance. That's right. And then he goes into marriage. He says, you guys have marriage all wrong. And here's how you do marriage. And so it is a very stern letter of rebuke Mm. to this church. This is where in chapter 11, we get the unique picture of communion. These guys were messing up communion. (laughs) Communion was a time for the church to come together and celebrate the body and the blood of Christ. These guys, the rich people were bringing a feast. The poor people got to stand around watching the rich people get drunk and gorge themselves, and they didn't have any food. And Paul says, that's absolutely the wrong idea of communion. He says, I need to tell you what I learned from Jesus. Now, Paul wasn't at the original upper room. But he spent three and a half years with Jesus in the wilderness, and Jesus apparently gave him the inside scoop on what he did, why he did it, and (laughs) what the result was. Yeah. So he rebukes them all the way through. He gets tremendous in in 15 on the concept of the resurrection. He uh, greets the people that he fondly remembers in in chapter 16. So he is in, in Ephesus. And somebody writes him a letter saying how bad it is there. Well, apparently there was a second letter that gets lost in time because Mm -hmm. he refers to it later. He gets a report that the church in Corinth has responded to his letter of rebuke. Okay. When he leaves Ephesus, that's why I stopped earlier. When he leaves Ephesus, he wants to go back through these churches. So he first goes to Philippi. It's there that word reaches him that the Corinthians have really repented. Mm. So he writes 2 Corinthians to that. And that's where you get that beautiful, well, there's some great theology in 2 Corinthians, but you get that great uh, section of chapter 8 when he says, listen, I'm taking a collection. Jerusalem is still under persecution from all these Mm -hmm. years. And it's tough being a Christian in in Jerusalem. They've given you a spiritual blessing. We want to give them a physical blessing, which is taking up offerings at all the churches. So he's in Philippi preparing the people in Philippi to give an offering. And he's writing 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to says, I'm here. And these guys have done more than I expected. They're not very rich. And out of their poverty, they've begged me to go beyond what they're capable and give me more. Mm. I want you to follow their example. (laughs) Well, he ends up getting to Corinth. And you have to put this in first century concept. He's taken up collection at these churches. You don't go to a local bank and say, put this on account. I'm going <laughs> right. to, I'm going to, I'm going to, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to put it on my visa card. Yeah. Or, or give me the wiring instructions. And yes. I'll fire it over. Fire it over to you. <laughs> he is collecting gold and silver and, and money. Yeah. At these, these places. 
And each one of them, church, is saying, I'm sending this money with you guys. I'm going to have somebody go with you. So he's taking an entourage with him everywhere he goes. So he comes around, he goes to Thessalonica and Berea, and then the church is there. And he, by sea, he comes to Corinth. Okay. While he's in Corinth, it gets out what he's doing. His plan is to take a ship to Jerusalem. Right. But it gets out that he's got a ton of money <laughs> with him, with all of these people. So what he does is he actually goes back through the land route, back through Philippi, and ends back up in Troas again. Okay. Well, there he gives the famous sermon that lasts all night. This poor kid is sitting in the window, <laughs> falls asleep. And I'm talking eight to ten hours of Paul talking. <laughs> I just want to know what he was teaching on. <laughs> and this kid is in the in the window, and he falls asleep and falls out <laughs> from a second-story window, and he breaks his neck, I think. Yeah. And Paul gets up, stops what he's doing, goes downstairs, lays on him, says, okay, much like in the Old Testament. Yeah. And he comes back to life. Okay, let's go back up and let me, I'll pick up where I dropped off. And he preaches the rest of the night. For those that don't know that story, yes, there is a story in the Bible of a person falling asleep while, while a sermon is being told. And falling out of a window. That's right. So that's where he is. He's had such a, a great time in Ephesus, but he knows if he goes to Ephesus from Troas, which isn't that far physically. Yeah. He, he'll never get out mm. uh, because he had such a wild reception for the whole province of Asia. And I think he loved being there. Yes, he did. Yeah. So he goes to Miletus, which is just southwest of Ephesus on the coast. And he calls the elders, Acts 20, he calls them to him and he tells them some sad things. First of all, I'll never see you guys again, mm. which is... They're kind of going, mm, what's all that about? Yeah. And then he warns them. He says, from among you, and with the eldership of the church at Ephesus, from among you, savage wolves will rise up to destroy the church. So be on guard, because what you do, the church will do. Well, then he leaves those guys, and they're sad. He goes back to, to well, all along the way, He's warned, and the people that are with him are warned, that he's not going to be greeted well. In fact, he's going to be bound up. He's going to be thrown in prison. If he goes back to Jerusalem, he's going to be thrown in prison. Right. Yeah. And all along the way. All along the way. And the apostles are doing any. I mean, Luke, Timothy, all these guys are saying, you know, it might be better if we just go on to Rome like you really wanted to do. Yeah. Nope, we're going to take this back to Jerusalem. Yeah. Well, then he gets to the coast in Caesarea, and prophetesses come and say, you're going to be bound up, and you're going to be thrown in prison. <laughs> and again, and his entourage with him says, you know, it's not, we could go up to Antioch yeah. and, and go back to the mother church. Yeah. And he says, no, we're going to Jerusalem. And he goes to Jerusalem makes the report, the apostles there have been harangued by the European Jews and the Jews in Ephesus that Paul is stirring up the Jewish church, yeah. Jewish uh, uh, synagogues, yeah. and falsely claiming against Moses and a lot of other things. Yeah. And so they say, you need to take a Nazarite vow. 
shave your head, go into the temple, make sacrifice. Because these are still Jews. Yeah. They're com- what the what I heard later from a New York Jew was they're completed Jews. Mm-hmm. The other Jews are just not completed yet. <laughs> they're they're studying a Jewish religion that leads to the Savior, the Messiah, and what they haven't caught on yet is that Jesus was that Messiah. Yeah. So they're completed. Well, some Jews from the province of Asia point out that Paul is that guy to the other Jews that he's been maligning Moses and maligning the Old Testament. Well, they start a riot. Mm. And the only thing that a Roman cohort can get excoriated for is to allow a riot in a (laughs) Roman-controlled province. So the captain of the guard immediately comes and rips Paul out of the riot and takes him up the stairs. Okay. And he said, what's going on? (laughs) What did you do to irritate that many people that want to kill you? And start a riot. This is where you get some kind of insight as to sometimes Paul can poke the bear. <laughs> no, he wasn't he, type A at all. He, he stood up on the stairs and then basically talked about, I believe in the resurrection and they don't. And oh, man, all <laughs> hell breaks loose again. Yeah. So they're coming up the stairs and the Romans are saying, we got to get this guy out of here. Yeah. They take him off the wall and put him under... Guard. Okay. Well, they're afraid that this riot is going to take over. So they get a legion, 100 soldiers, many on horseback, and they take him two hours away to the coast and put him in jail there. Okay. And that's where eventually through the rest of the book of Acts that he has his court with the king and then the next person that Agrippa and Agrippa and Felix Festus and Felix yes well let's hold let's hold there okay let's hold over for one more week and we have Paul and we're in in prison where would this be set on the coast Caesarea yeah yeah he's transferred to Caesarea which is a Caesarea is a common name but it's Caesarea that's due west of Jerusalem on the coast on the coast in prison he's been and he's in prison there two years and he's before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. and That's where I'm going to stop you. There. Okay. So he's moved to the coast in Caesarea in prison, and we'll pick up right there next time. Right. All right. Have a great week, y'all. Thanks for joining Fellowship Around the Table. If you would like to learn more, go to fbctulsa.org. First four voices, for I did, I combined four in verses. The